Hello, Jay here. If I could ask, could you give us a little five-star rate in Apple Podcasts? Go on, please. It won't take long. You can just do it now. That'd be lovely. And share the podcast. Tell your friends. Appreciate it. And on today's show, me and not Russell, mm, talk to Johan or Bo Wallen, the awesome GM of Island Escape by Burisari. Swedish Johan first came to Phuket in 2003 as a dive instructor. His journey here has taken him from being in the Swedish military, a short time in the good old US of A, being in Phuket during the tsunami, and then Samui before finally coming back to Phuket in 2019. Johan is a really awesome guy with great stories and he's a great storyteller. Mmm. Johan is super cool and smart and just an all-round top guy. This was a super fun chat and it's even better when I don't have to say too much. Mmm. Johan. Bo. Cool guy. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. That's it. We're in. We're in. Okay. Cool. Um, Johan. Yes. Johan, second name? Yeah, Bo Johan Wallen. Do what? D- yeah, exactly. Bo Johan. Wallen. Wallen. Bo's your first name. Or if you want it in Swedish, we can do it in Swedish. Bo, Bo Johan Wallen. With a little accent on the E. But I dropped that. I here. can't even say it in English. <laughs> <laughs> so your first name is Bo? Yes. Is that a common Swedish name? Yeah, well, sort of. I mean, not... Well, it's to- not. To- 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 not totally uncommon, but uh, I mean, we had a little tradition. So my, my dad is Bo, I'm Bo, my brother is Bo, my son is Bo, we're all Bo. Uh, we've got a little Korean thing going there. <laughs> okay, fair enough. What you do in your personal life is fine. Um, I don't get it. So, Bo is my first name. Johan is my middle name. And okay, but your dad's name's Bo as well. Yes, and, and my, your brother's name's Bo. Bo. And my son's name then had to be Bo, first name. So we all have a lot of names. But surely, if your mum is a uh, like, so let's go back to your time in Sweden, right? <laughs> and you're sat there, and you're or you're playing outside with your brother. And your dad's in the garage doing whatever, just pretending. I don't know if he had a garage or not. And your mum shouted, Bo, dinner's ready, or Bo, telephone call. Did you all just run together? No, because in Sweden, you underline the name that you go by. So you can have lots and lots of names, but then it's in the system. You underline or you put known as, and then you pick one of the names. But why don't you put Johan first then? I don't know. You have to ask my mum and dad. Well, uh, <laughs> Bo, no, I... Johan, Wallen's mum and dad. Yes. Why? Because my name, my full name is James Matthew Stuart Walker. Yes. Okay, that's my real name. So I could pick any of those names and go by, and I don't go by any of them, to be fair. So that's the same in, so in Swedish, you'd go by whichever yeah. name you choose. But Exactly. And it's, it's on government forums and everything. It's just, it's just a thing, right? So you can have, I, I, my brother... Will not mention his full name, but if my brother has. I'm has guessing his name's Bo. Three names plus uh, his his family name, right? So, and the same with my son. 
my dad and I and uh, myself, we have only two. But do you call your obviously you call your dad dad? Yes. But is he was he Bo or no? He was actually Busse. Oh God! Which is a nickname for Bo. What? Which which is longer than the actual name? Yes. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Okay. Let's um, let's move on from your name, which has taken three minutes of a conversation. Um, I should apologise. Russell's not here today. Yes. He's got. Um, I, I noticed this. It was rather small. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. He's normally sat there with his dog, with the dogs with the bollocks out, but um, he's not there today. Yeah. Um, when did you get to Phuket? I got to Phuket two thousand and three. Okay. And what was the reason you came here in two thousand and three? So I was. You know, education is is more or less free in Sweden. So I was uh, spending way too much time in university taking whatever course this and whatever course that. Anthropology for a bit. Uh, anthropology. Anthropology. Social anthropology to be... Learning to about be, people. Learning about people, cultures okay. and... See, I'm knowledgeable. Yeah, good. Um, did political science and uh, uh, took uh, some, some, you know, bits and bobs of courses here and there didn't really amount to anything um, for about seven years. So you study in... Okay, so... Yeah, you don't study only in university. No, no, that's no. very true. That's so very true. you do other, th- other well, let's, stuff. Well, let's crack right back um, before, because you didn't tell us why you came to Phuket, but we'll yes. get to that point in a minute in 2003. But let's track... So originally from Sweden. Originally from Sweden, yes. Whereabouts? I know one place in Sweden, so if it's not Gothenburg... I have no idea where it is. Yeah, but you, you're spot on. Was it Al- Gothenburg? Almost. It's, oh. a, it's a, a few kilometers in, 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 inland, like a few kilometers further up the hill. Up the- <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And I ask this question every time, and Russell hates this question. What was it like for you growing up in Gothenburg? Or just outside yeah. up the hill slightly? Um, I mean, nice and peaceful. It was Sweden. It was 1980s, and it was... But what's it? Were you? Uh, is it outdoor living? Is outdoor it, living. I mean, we we had a house in the countryside. It's a small village. Everyone knows everyone, uh, and everyone is probably related uh, to everyone. Hence why some... everyone's called Bo. Exactly. To be fair. Yeah. Um, so it's a small community. I live. We lived in a house. We had paddocks in the back. We had horses there, and uh, one of my chores was to go and and clear the muck stable, out muck up. Muck out the the stable. Uh, That's a technical term, you know, muck out. Yeah. Now, I went to an agricultural college just because the girls wore joppers. (laughs) It was amazing. I learned to drive a tractor just so I could go to the stables every day. Very good. Thank you very much. Um, What did your parents do? Yeah, so my my dad worked in the the, back then. It was the state... Uh, telecommunication company, which was the late, later on, I think, of nineteen nineties, some somewhere around there, was privatized. Uh, but he worked uh, for the state uh, telecommunication company, and he worked his way up. He, I think, he was second in command in in Gothenburg at some point. Um, I just keep thinking of yeah. Batman every time we say Gothenburg. Gotham. I know. It's terrible. Did you know Batman or was he... Of course. Part of Sweden? <laughs> um, sorry. Um, lots, lots of comic books. And your mother? Uh, my mother uh, had a quite a, a... You know, she was a housewife. Then she worked with... Uh, what, how should we call it? Sanitary... Um, I don't know. Duties. Uh, cleaning, basically. Uh, so she was uh, working with cleaning for the same state uh, oh, not company. not cleaning you? No, but... no, 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 definitely cleaning me as well. I was... <laughs> 
after mucking up the in the stable, yeah, you yeah, can imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but so she worked uh, for the same state telecommunication company, but she was in the sanitary department and she stayed there for quite a few years until she, I think she was 40 something, quite late. And then she went back to university. She got a degree uh, in, in um, uh, basically... Um, what's it called? I don't know. You're uh, looking at me. I don't know your mum. I've never met her. Um, no, uh, basically she worked for the government to take care of welfare. Okay. Yeah. So Nursing. She, no, 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 no. She was the, 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 the person that was in charge of taking kids from parents that couldn't take Tra care of Trafficking. Them. So she exactly. was a child Traf trafficker. Ch child trafficker. Okay, exactly. Good. No, but so basically she came in if the household couldn't take care of the kids, she came in uh, and she... Okay. So she was social... Social something, or other something, other. something, something. Yeah. Okay. So that was her later uh, endeavor. And my dad went and uh, he worked, they separated when I was quite small, so they went separate ways. And um, my dad went to work for the university hospital in Lund. Uh, which was one of the reasons why I could study in Lund, the, uh, one of the big university You're towns in Sweden. You're saying a word, I have no idea what you just said. Yeah, Lund is the name of a town in Sweden. Thank you, okay. University Good. town. And uh, basically I could stay there because my dad was there as well. So I had a nice little uh, base there. But see, he was in charge of the telecommunications for the southern region of Sweden in terms of uh, the hospitals. So all the internal communications, all the... the uh, data traffic and all that he was in charge of that for cool. a bit for a bit and you said yep. you had one brother i have one sister okay which unfortunately lives in england for many many years is she called Bo? no <laughs> anna just check anna which is from my mom's side so okay. my mom is also anna and oh, um, jesus christ yeah, i mean another, another <laughs> i mean it must be tough going through working out your names for your kids when you go oh yeah what should we name it with well, name same as me yeah brilliant Copy but paste. then again, I can't say that because my daughter, her middle name is Jay. So I guess I've done the same thing. Yeah, tradition is good. Mm. Sorry, so you got one sister. One sister, older sister, five years older. She took care of me when I fell down in the stables. Um, and a younger half-brother. So not same mom, but same dad. Cool. Which is completely normal in Sweden. You probably have more parents than you have anything else. Hot dinners. Yeah. There you go. There's the expression for you. Um, okay. I've seen pictures of you because we've known each other now for a few years. Now, yes. I've, you've shown me pictures of you in army outfits and army uniform. Oh, when, yeah. when was this part of your life? Yeah, that, that was when it was still compulsory in Sweden to, to do military service to some extent if, if you weren't completely useless because you went for... Back then, that was 94, I think I went uh, to the, uh, the draft department or whatever it's called um, in English uh, anyway you go for two days so you do two days of testing uh, psychological physical mental and you got in and apparently they wanted me I don't know why but did you want to go or was it yeah because it was compulsory it was compulsory you... so I wanted to go and I applied because I wasn't really keen on on you know running around shooting stuff and whatever but so I applied to become a medic you could you could put okay, in a, yeah, you could yeah, put yeah. in a request you could apply to become a medic. So I did that. I want to be a medic. I want to learn, you know, useful skill. Uh, and I want to be on a, on a patrol boat. Uh, because we've been yachting when I was a kid. My dad had a, a sailing boat. Not a huge one, but a, a nice one. So we've been going around sailing around Gothenburg every summer. And so I like the sea. I've been diving and snorkeling since I was like 
That doesn't help yeah. for the listener. Exactly, it doesn't help. About two foot high. There you go. Two foot tall. Um, and uh, so I wanted to go to the sea. Uh, and uh, then about three months before I was supposed to go uh, in 2015, I got a nice little brochure and a little leaflet. Hold on, hold on. 1994. Yeah, I, I went to, to do the testing and then 95. Uh, so this, I think we, we tested about maybe October 94. Okay. And then it was, uh, you, you you go in about January, February 95. And what age? 18, I'm guessing. Uh, 18, uh, no, 19 actually. Okay. Yeah. And it was still compulsory then? To still do, compulsory. And how long did you have to do it? <clears throat> that was about 10 months. So it was not, it was not huge. I so mean, you, you had to do 10 months? Yes. And is that males and females or just males? Uh, males only. Females could apply if they wanted to. Okay. Just checking. Yeah. But anyway, back, yes. to, back to the funny story. So I applied to be oh, a medic. Oh, there's a funny story. There's a funny story. Okay, there's a good. quirk here. Uh, so I applied to be a medic on a nice little boat, potter around, get some nice meal from the galley, whatever. Three months before I'm supposed to go, they send me a nice letter. You have been selected for the amphibious corps. Thank you very much. This is your training schedule for the next three months if you want to survive once you get here. <laughs> so then they put me in the amphibious corps. And then once I got there, then they... Uh, basically wanted me to go into the uh, uh, grenade, um, what's it called, mortar squad, the mortar squad. So they're like, no, you go to the mortar squad. You can run fast and you can carry a lot of stuff. You go to the mortar squad. And I was like, no, I want to be a medic. So you applied as a medic. Yep. They wanted you to be a frogman. No, no, well, no, they, they then wanted me to be in the Phoebus Corps. It's basically like the Marines. So it's, you go on boats, they drop the ramp, you run ashore, uh, and you get shot. Fair or enough. Something like that. Anyway, so we were there and they or, wanted Or not get shot probably was a better pro attitude pro to pro have. Probably not get shot. They go to the right island. Um, and then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, okay, you, we want you for the... Um, the mortar squad and I was like no 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 but what's the mortar squad sounds quite the mortar you know, squad you know, you're running with mortars and you set them up and you shoot mortar yeah. shells onto other islands and you're supposed to retake them and I didn't want to do that so they said okay you can be a medic no problem but we'll assign you to the special forces squadron over here then so I was like what so I go from a nice cushy little patrol boat to the green berets and I'm like how did that happen so then yeah that's so uh, I spent better part of about six months hiking around with these guys and training as a medic as well. Uh, training as a medic, uh, which is when you go around with these Green Beret guys, uh, and I also got my own little little Green Beret. Uh, when, so when you go around with them, uh, they don't care that you're a medic. So you, you get the medic bag and then you get the sniper rifle or some nice little saw, you know, the light machine gun or something else that you need to carry. And you're like, yeah. It's okay. It's just a few extra kilos, and you're like, I got the medic bag as well. Wow. Well, that's the funny story. Jeez. And so you did that, that for six, six months. Yeah. Of... So ten months, so three months uh, basic training, and then about yeah, especially it's uh, you know they they assign you, and then you got about six months of of out in the bush and train and jump and. And, and what stuff. was the experience? You didn't want to continue then. No, I actually thought about continuing, but it was quite fun. I mean, the, the difference was that once you got onto these um, special forces guys, they're, they're very tough, but it's a really good camaraderie and they, they give you, they support you. 
and they have a, a, a mindset which is really much like I can yell at my guys and make them do whatever I want to, but no one else can. So it was very much protected and, and you know, us against whoever else wanted to come in and... Pretty much what armies are, yeah, isn't it really? Us around. against them. Yeah, well, not so much because uh, you had uh, other units where it was more just common to scream and shout for the sake of it. I don't know. I, I, the close I got to army was the scouts. Yeah. And I got kicked out of the scouts. So. But anyway, so I did that. Uh, what, fun? you didn't want my scout story? No, okay, scout story. I haven't got one really. Okay. I didn't like the arc. Did you jump out of helicopters? In my in the scouts? Yeah. No, I tied a woggle and that's about... All okay. I, I might have got a badge for doing... I did my Duke of Edinburgh's award, I think. Good. I'm not sure how far I got. I never finished it. Yeah. I never finished anything in my life, Johan. I mean, there's you being in the frigging Green Berets as a medic and there's me tying a woggle in scouts. It's a bit different, isn't it? No. Life skills. Yeah, fair enough. Did you jump out of a helicopter then? Yeah, we had to jump out of helicopters. Oh, we had shit. we got with boats. They they dropped off, off uh, us off in the middle of the night with the packs, and you have to swim into shore, and you're shivering because this is Sweden in November, and that's cold. I bet yeah, it's cold. Um, but yeah, okay, so you, good. You, you you finished that. You decided yeah. not to go on. Didn't uh, really want to go on because this was 1995. So you you know, army life and, and and the military was not a real option anymore because uh, you know the east europe soviet union all that was gone and so we're all friends and we should all demilitarize and all that so it wasn't really a, a good option so then i went to party at university did you have any idea what you wanted to do when you went apart from partying at university but did you have a kind of a plan of like i, I want to do not, this not really i mean it was I, I i wanted to continue with medicine for a bit but then i i went i i did about a year and a half nursing pre-med school kind of courses and i figured out it's not the same at all as uh, what I've done previously in the in the military. This is very hierarchic. This is very much an old kind of uh, system in in the uh, medical um, profession, and it's not really my cup of tea. It's you know. So you just went to party. I went to party, and then I did anthropology and other fun stuff. But I had no idea what you were going to do with it. No, um, basically just trying to see what what fun things I could learn on the way. So, and that university was in Lord. Lund. That's what I just said. Lund. Lund. The Essex way of saying Lund. Lund. And then finished that after... Uh, yeah, so then 2000 and I think 2002, I started uh, figuring I can't continue this for the rest of my life. I went to California 2003 summer to visit a lot of the exchange students that I made friends with over the did. year. Yeah, yeah. And we did Can you tell any of those stories or not? Uh, no. Okay, fair <clears> enough. <throat> That's a uh, <laughs> need to know yeah, basis yeah, yeah, only. Yeah, gotcha. uh, basically, I was supposed to go to surf camp in in, um, in San Diego for about a week out of a three week holiday and I didn't go because I was in LA. Um, doing fun stuff. Uh, anyway, so I was there for about three weeks in the summer and came back to Sweden. I was like, mm, no, this is too cold. Uh, and at that point, I've already, I've, as I said before, I dived so, uh, since I was very, very young. My sister, when I was 18, gave me a, a paddy certificate for my birthday because she thought that I've been free diving too much and like you need some air down there. 
When you say she gave you a certificate, she didn't just write it herself. No, no, she you gave paid, you the lessons. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. no, she paid for my for me to go and actually take yeah, my, yeah. my scuba lessons, yeah. right? So I got certified as a scuba diver when I was eighteen, and then on and on and on. I actually uh, became an uh, an IDC staff instructor in Paddy. So I learned uh, I could assist uh, a course director to teach other instructors. That's the level of proficiency that I went through in Sweden with dry suits and semi-dry suits and cold and all Absolutely. that stuff. Fun. So I had that on the side. And then after my little California trip, I was like, sorry guys, I can't stay here. It's too cold. Uh, so I figured, why don't we go somewhere and, and just teach diving for a bit and see what happens. So, you know, I looked around and I had a lot of friends that already worked in, in the scuba diving industry. They already worked in Thailand or Malaysia or around. And I was asking that they will, you know, if you're first time going out and you want to work, go to Thailand because it's easier for you to get in uh, the scuba industry. Then this was 2003, 2000. Yeah, I started asking around 2002, 2003. Uh, and they're like, yeah, you, you should go to Thailand. It's it's easier to, to get a job there. As a scuba diver instructor, you have Kotao, you have Phuket, so you can do many, many different things. So I took my little backpack in December 2003, and I flew to Thailand. Without straight to Phuket? No, uh, flew to Bangkok, landed the 10th of December, and was completely perplexed why everything is closed. King's birthday. No. Oh, no. Constitution Con Day. Constitution Day. There you go. Constitution Day. Blimey. 10th of December, 2003. And I was like, it's a weird country. Everything is closed. <laughs> and you had no plans at all at that time? or uh, I planned to pot around a little bit, uh, have a look around, and then try to go to Kotao. I had some leads in Kotao to go and dive there. But I think I was in Bangkok for about four days, and then I got a phone call. Uh, or, or if it was an email or message, I don't even remember anymore. Um, might have been a pigeon. It might have been a pigeon. Or a fax, maybe. Well, yeah. Old school. No, it was probably an email, I think. Uh, that uh, there was a Swedish dive school uh, in Phuket that needed a Swedish dive instructor like yesterday um, because of unforeseen circumstances. So um, I was like, okay, cool. Well, let's go to Phuket. So uh, and that I arrived. was the first time you've arrived in Phuket. And that was the first time I came with my little scuba diving bag with all my gear and a few t-shirts and uh, board shorts and uh, yeah. And what did you think of it when you first got to Phuket? Um, I mean, back then, it, 2003, I, it was nice, but it was very much smaller than it is today. I mean... That's global warming, you know, it's because the seas... Oh no, that works the other way, doesn't it? Because the seas increasing. Anyway, no, but I mean, I mean, no, north of of the Heroin Monument was like the wilderness. I wish it still was. <laughs> I wish Heroin Monument wasn't there. Not that I, I appreciate the heroines, yes. just don't appreciate the monument side of things. That's worse now. Now that Robinson's open. Anyway, it's not. Lou. Let's move on. Yeah. So yeah, the, uh, it was very nice. We lived. Uh, I lived down in Kata. I worked for a small little uh, dive school called uh, Oceanic. Uh, with the two Swedish guys that uh, were and who were you teaching? Swedish tourists. S Swedish tourists predominantly, uh, but also you know Brits, Germans. I'm assuming you're speaking English at, at this time as well. Yes. 
Did you more more or less? <laughs> I mean, Fair in Sweden, enough. we 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 learn English, and I did uh, survive three weeks in the US, so I think yeah, that's yeah, true. I, I could potentially survive uh, Thailand as well. Yeah. The Americans don't really speak English, though, to no. be fair. Okay, yeah. So you were here during the tsunami then? Yes. So I was here uh, with teaching. I was doing mainly uh, day trips, so uh, Raksha, Raksha. Okay, so, okay, down that area. Down that area. We went to PP for a bit and so on and so forth. And then um, I did that until low season uh, 2004. There was a bit of break and, you know, did some reef diving off Kata Beach and the odd uh, Russia Yai uh, trip and whatever during low season and then high season I was offered to go on a few trips uh, with that company's uh, liverboard uh, to Similens. Okay, yeah. Uh, so I did a few trips up to the Similens with uh, uh, Rhapsody, Ooh. which uh, currently rests next to uh, Richel Rock. Rests as in it sunk, I'm it assuming. Sunk, but okay. not with me. No, I was going to say, were you there? No, I wasn't there. Okay. I was after me. I was after the tsunami. I think it was 2005 sometime um, that it actually sank in wow. the middle of the night. And my friends were drifting off in, into the into Why did the it abyss. sink? Did it have a... Was... And I don't know. Uh, probably a problem with the, with the bilge pump or... Or an insurance job? Just throwing it out there. Not really. I don't okay. think so. They His were doing... eyes are rolling, listener. His eyes yeah. are rolling on that one. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think they, they they had quite a bit of business back. Uh, I think this was three months, four months after the tsunami. I think they were picking up a bit. And so... Uh, so anyway, yes. I don't want to dwell on the tsunamis, but, but were you no. actually in Phuket during the tsunami? I was on the boats uh, south of Kobon. Wow. Doing the second dive of the day. Okay. So we did Christmas Point in the morning. Uh, where we had sharks going completely ballistic and we were like what's up with the sharks and uh, we didn't know at the time uh, we went back up had breakfast on the boat moved up to to Kobon and we're supposed to do to, to jump for the second dive of the day and uh, there was a lot of currents in the water like lots and uh, the captain came running out screaming earthquake earthquake tsunami no wow. diving and I was like yeah sure no diving <laughs> that's for sure uh, yeah, and then came back to Phuket, and then no, we spent about I think two days out on on uh, so all the liverboard boats they gathered at island number eight, a little bit further out on the outer part of the island number eight. Uh, everyone just together, just to see what else happens. You know, is there another wave coming? Is there okay. other another earthquake or whatever? So I think we spent about one day there just. Do, doing nothing then we went back because the marine department apparently called out and asked the boats to go back and check their last dive site so we went back to christmas point did a dive there and recorded damage uh, which was like really really bad in underwater i mean it was like someone took a piece of grass cut out the square and turned it around wow yeah just the power of it yeah, you could see scratch mark of all the limestone on the rocks, like a meter and a half off the bottom, and all the corals were not all, but most of the corals were just gone. And fish swimming around, going completely ballistic, it's like, "Where's my enemy? Where's my enemy?" Wow. So yeah, you don't think about that because you, you obviously you see the devastation on on the land, but you don't yeah. actually see the devastation under the water. Yeah. So not not all dive points were damaged, but a few of them uh, were quite severely hit 
And then we came back to Phuket and uh, we did a lot of, uh, you know, help. We helped the community, especially in Kata Beach where we lived. Uh, so we, uh, we cleared about 200 meters of fishing net off the, the house reef. We're out every day cutting out fish, cleaning off the, this huge industrial fishing net that wrapped the whole reef on the wow. north side of Kata. And we helped the long tail boat drivers with lift bags to recover their, their um, long tail boat engines that had sunk. Obviously, the long tail boats were smashed and gone, but the engines were all sitting at about two to three meters in Kata on right. the sand, yeah, yeah. nicely stacked, like, okay, cool. So um, we helped these guys to just lift up their, their engines and get them back in. Wow. Things Crikey. like that, yeah. And so... Um, Tsunami hit, cleared up, tidied up. Things came back pretty quick. Yeah, pretty quick. But I was, I left Phuket. So was that because you were just? What was the reason you left? Just it was a scary situation, or you just mindset wasn't quite there. No, it wasn't really scary and such. You know, it's it was. Well, you're a tough green beret medic. <laughs> jumped out of helicopters. Yeah. Uh, no, but I mean, you know, a few hundred meters off the beach, you couldn't see that anything had happened, right? Yeah. So it was there, but there wasn't any tourists, there wasn't any job, and you couldn't really see how long will this go on for. And on the other hand, it's it's not anywhere near what happened with the COVID, right? Because COVID hit everywhere. But during the tsunami, you had Phuket, Krabi to some extent was damaged, but in Koh Samui, you couldn't get a room. Mm. Because it was a hundred and five percent fully booked. Because everyone went there. Everyone went there. Everyone went to Pattaya, Bangkok, Koh Samui. Uh, so all the business was there. So I moved over there uh, with another dive company and started running day trips from Samui to Kotel. Cool. And when did you get out of diving? That was about three months after that. So I think in two thousand and five, March. Probably March or April. I'm not quite sure. I don't remember exactly. But I've been in Samui doing diving for about three or four months on this boat. And, you know, it was nice, but it was long days. And, uh, you know, Samui to Kotao. It was nice to live on Samui. And I love Samui compared to the guys that were living on Kotao because they got more diving out of things. But in Samui, you had a bit more of a life. Back then, we at least had one Tesco. Uh, which Lucky was you. better than nothing. And, you know, a little bit bigger island. But uh, there was an opening in um, Le Meridian, uh, Le Royal Meridian back then, when it was, Le Meridian was actually a standalone brand. Um, and I applied uh, on a whim saying, Hi, there's no way I'm ever going to get this job. What was the job? And so the job was uh, water sports and dive school manager. So I, I had some you had experience. I had that, some yeah. experience. I mean, but I was thinking there's going to be 10,000 guys applying for this position. And I got a call, I think, uh, one or two days after and said, can you come for an interview now? And I was like, okay, well, I need to take a day off from diving. And I went to got an interview and then they said, okay, here, you sign there. This is what you get. And, um, and that is your step into you, the hotel you can, world. You can start working like now. How did you find the difference going from kind of a more relaxed diving feel, which it really is, yeah. going into a hospitality hotel, which is very different? Yeah, well, so um, my grandparents 
owned a hotel in Sweden uh, way back. Um, unfortunately, my my granddad. Bo. Uh, no, he was not Bo. Oh. He was uh, Ingemar. <laughs> not saying that one. Okay. Anyway, so uh, he had uh, a stroke. So they had to sell the hotel, get everything, and this was like when my dad was a kid. So it was way, I, I've, I have never seen the hotel, never been there, whatever. But they had the the spirit. They were there. My my grandma opened a little restaurant, and they were running this restaurant. And my sister was in um, hospitality um, from a, quite a young age. She was working summers uh, by the beach and in Sweden, and winters she was doing the the ski resorts and stuff like that. And so I was the little brother and I always came along and I was there and I was sort of part of the team. So I, I had this hospitality kind of mentality already. I, you know, I've been hanging around in the back of the kitchen, helping out with the clearing and stewarding and, you know, having stuff. fun, having fun with the chefs and getting a bit of a steak on the side and stuff like that. And so I had that already. And so I, you know, I, I wasn't completely in the deep end of the swimming pool but it was quite interesting to see how to move and and Le Meridian at that point it was an international brand right it was a good international brand so you moved from diving um, local very personal depending on your boss at that time you, you that was your work environment and you moved into this very corporate structured organized kind of environment and it was it was interesting i couldn't do it because i my my life was teaching sailing very much similar to diving you have that one-on-one it's you know it's very relaxed and stuff and then all of a sudden trying to go into a hotel industry where it is corporate and you have to do this and you have to wear although i was working for a corporate company it was much more relaxed and i Mm. found it really difficult hence why i didn't really progress further into the corporate hospitality world yeah you did so water sports manager yeah water sports and dive school manager we had two uh, speedboats uh, double uh, like a two engine and a one engine speedboat we had some long tail boats and uh, uh, you know we did uh, water skiing and we did our, our own dive trips we had dive instructors there and i Sounds taught like a good I, life. I taught a, a bit of diving also on that side uh, with the meridian um and yeah it was a nice life and then where did the progression go from there? Yeah, so then uh, Le Meridian was bought by Starwood, American brand. Risk assessments. <laughs> Moving engines and compressed gas directly from the hotel. Not a good Is idea. This, do you know what I have to tell myself? When I, the health and safety time, and that's pretty much the same time it came into the company I was working for as well. Yeah. And we were on the beach and I got this email from the, and I was, teaching sailing and the head of the department or the head of whoever said the health and safety people have been on we're not allowed to use drills on the beach unless we've been trained to use a drill and I was like well how am I supposed to fix the boats if I can't use a drill oh well you can't you have to go and get trained I said yeah but I can't get trained until the winter mm. and now it's summer so all my boats I can't fix and then you're going to complain because there's no boats for the guests that's health and safety for you. Yeah, exactly. So they, uh, Starwood came in and said, dive school, not a chance. Uh, you will have to outsource so we have no liability. Um, in-house activities, you could do kayaks and sailing boats. and Finger painting. That, that's about yeah. it. You cannot do long tail boats. You cannot this and this and this. Yeah, that has to be all third party outsourced. 
And so I was like, cool. I don't really have a job anymore, do I? What do I do now? And um, as you know, I like to chat. I like to talk. I don't know what you mean. I have no clue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we did have a little... Uh, system where all managers were, were required to be a, a, a an MOD or a lobby manager. So you mingled with the guest and you had to talk and you had to upsell and you had to find challenges and, and uh, you know, do service recoveries if, if people were having trouble and problems and complained or whatever. So I'd been service doing that. Service recoveries. Service recovery. Posh name for dealing with bullshit. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but you can recover. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Still bullshit. <laughs> I hate people sometimes. You, you, but you're very good with people. But you must go on. You tell you. Okay. Anyway, so yeah. so I've done that, and uh, so basically, I went up to the general manager and I said, "Guys, uh, do you still want to pay me the, the, what you pay me for me to manage a few uh, kayaks and a sailing boat, or would you like me to do something else?" And they're like, "Well, you're pretty good with guest relations, so." here we are you can be the new guest relation manager that we need to replace uh, because then we don't have to hire anyone new so i went into guest relations i started with front office uh, and that was that was even more challenging than actually coming from diving into a corporate hotel industry because all of a sudden i was in the thick of it and people were asking for their bills and they were asking for uh, you know, how, how much do I have uh, on my deposit and, uh, uh, you know, it, my booking is this and that and I got the wrong room and I was like, okay, uh, shoot, I need to be able to check in the system. How does the system work? Oh my God, I need to learn the PMS, the property management system, right? So it was a few months there where I was like, shh, scratching my head and asking my colleagues, how do I check that again? Which, which key was it? And this was back in the day when I mean now you have Opera for example it's very it's almost like a like Google or it's it's very user friendly you drag and drop and you click and you double click and you open this and you fix that and yeah Pavarotti is probably my favorite of the yeah. Opera singers I have to but say. Uh, but back then it was Fidelio's it was very much like keys and commands and and you need to remember and that was a, a an interesting couple of months until you got that into your head. And then from guest service manager, you and this is still in Samui. This is still in Samui. Uh, so I, I had a bit of a, a strange. Uh, so I, I I came in on a banana peel into the hotel industry, poof in, and then I progressed because of health and safety concerns, and uh, I worked my way up guest relations manager um, for a few years um, until two thousand and seven where uh starwood and le meridian uh had a fallout with the owner of the property and the owner decided sorry you're out you need to deflag and that was also an interesting uh, experience we deflagged from starwood which me which means you had to destroy everything related to starwood and le meridian you had to we basically had a small bonfire we were burning things with <laughs> logos on it it was like deflagging means everything is out right and so we did that and i think i can't swear on the life of me but i think the owner was in in uh, discussions with raffles to bring in the raffles and uh, so it was an interesting transition period uh, and the owner 
um, was a big American bank, which comes to another point in two seconds. So they were talking and they had money and they were spending and they had their managers down and it was a lot of champagne and and we started renovating and we built a little pier that I suggested and you know things like that. It was it was happy days, and then came two thousand and eight. Credit crunch. And we were owned by Lehman Brothers. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> so we got a phone call one day said, saying pretty much, don't touch nothing. Your owner doesn't is- exist anymore. Wow. Lehman Brothers has gone bankrupt. Don't do nothing. Don't touch anything. And so it went from a progression where I was like going up, 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 up. And having a potential new brand, a new owner, money coming in, doing potentially a renovation, pre-opening. And I was like, yeah, whoa, cool. I'll stay on and do that. Because when we had the transition with uh, with the Starwood deflagging, a few of the staff and many of the managers left. Because they were like, no, I don't want to work in an interim uh, no-name brand whatever i'm gonna move on to sure. something else right but i was like cool i'm just new of this i want to stay on i want to learn from this experience and then all of a sudden it's just the rug is pulled down out under your feet and you're like what's going on here now so what are you going to do now so then basically uh, all assets in asia was uh, taken over by another bank so they were sort of having a rescue package and they put every, all their big assets in one pool and they had people coming in looking at uh, how to just manage the assets uh, over a period until they could be sold onto new owners, right? And so we were basically just running this resort, the La Royal Meridian, as a no-name brand uh, standalone property for a good number of years until 2008. 11. Wow, that was a long time. Yeah. So, and then I, I didn't, I didn't find myself in a position where I could actually transition because I sort of got on the, on the train or on the, on the ride when it was on the high and now we're at mm. low point. So if I jump now, what kind of offers will I get? What kind of brands will I be able to go to? I better just slug it out here and, and learn as much as I can during this uh, period. And we had some some good managers um, that I, we could learn from and, you know. Uh, but you still were happy to knowledge. stay in Samui. So I was happy to stay in Samui. The life was nice. I mean, Samui uh, back then started to have a little bit more life. Uh, I mean, Credit Crunch uh, 2008 was a bit of a problem, but it bounced back fairly quickly, right? Um, so you had tsunami, then you had credit crunch. Interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I stayed on, uh, in that, in that, uh, property, uh, until, uh, we had a nice guy from Bangkok coming down and say, this looks nice. Let's buy it. I also, uh, accidentally owns the Intercon in Bangkok. Yeah, as um, you do. As, as one do. Exactly. Mm. So he came down, bought the place, we're down there, uh, and he was very much hands-on under the buildings checking pipes and pulling and checking and and uh, you know uh, very much with the team and um, he brought in intercon and we did a complete full renovation we gutted the whole place um, 
And what was your le- what, what was your role? And there? so I was still guest relations okay. manager at that point. But yeah. obviously, guest relations manager where additional responsibility mm. had been piled up because other managers had left, and I, mean, I had my EAM uh, leave at some point. Whenever that was can't even remember but basically coming in and saying okay i can't do forecasting i can't do this and this and this and this johan uh, you're pretty switched on this is how you do i teach you for two days and now you're in charge okay, okay thank you <laughs> um so I, the title was still guest relations manager but i've been adding a lot of different responsibilities on top of that anyway so um le meridian no no uh intercon comes in we start doing a complete full renovation. Very interesting. A lot of interesting uh, experiences on how to really build uh, or, or rebuild uh, a hotel from scratch. I mean, we had pillars and roofs and beams, but everything else was gutted out. Floors, you could see in the main building, um, if any of our listeners has been to the Intercontinental in, in Koh Samui, you could see basically from the lobby all the way down into the deluxe rooms, which are basically three, two, three floors down. And Everything that is must scattered. have been a huge learning curve for you then to yes. do that. And also very good with Intercon. They send me around. They send me to Bangkok for a good two weeks, I think it was. I, I was in Bali, at the Intercontinental Bali, to learn how they did things uh, because they put me as uh, the concierge manager. So I needed to learn how the concierge uh, team worked, what was the programs, how do we take care of a guest. And it was very much about building dreams and and uh, creating the, the whole intercontinental brand uh, package for the guests in the resorts. Um, so it was quite a big, big job to create that program. It is a big job. We're not even close to you coming back to Phuket yet. No, so we need to speed up. We, we do need to speed up. I need to speed you up a little bit. So I know, and I think I know that you then, you went and set up your own events company. Yeah, no, no. The, so I, this... I, I went with, Inter, so Intercon came in, they sent me to Bali. Right. Uh, where I met my wife. Oh, we, we should, we should, we should, oh, beautiful. So she, she, she worked for the Intercontinental in Bali. So and did that's you meet her when you was just on your kind of yeah, exactly. your short trip, so yes. to speak? So okay. lightning struck, woof, dude, that's it. This is the woman Clamour, of my life. Hazy, yeah. beautiful. Oh, happy dining. And uh, she came over to work with me in Koh Samui uh, with the, the Intercon there. And together we set up uh, an events company. And in, was that because we had enough of the hotel or no, that's for, was it more for her? It was more for her that she, she wanted to do uh, events. She wanted to do weddings. Uh, she'd been working in the, in the hotel industry, but she was also DJing on the side and she wanted to explore that. I didn't that. know that. Yeah, really? didn't know. Yeah. Wow. DJ. Doesn't DJ much anymore, but you know, you know, she can, she can still beat match on an old uh, record player. Wow. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Record okay. player. Um, so you're doing that in Samui? Yeah, so we're doing that in Samui. So I'm working in hotels. While she's while running the event company. She's uh, building with me on the side on weekends, uh, building the event company. And did you at any point move over 100% to the event company? No. Okay. Um, I, I worked for Intercon for uh, about two years after that. Uh, then I moved with my... Uh, 
manager, we moved over to uh, Holiday Inn Copy P because the owner of Holiday Inn Copy P was looking at potentially okay. building another Intikon uh, behind the PP Island village, yep. which is currently the Sai, mm-hmm. right? So the, he was planning to build an Intikon over there. It didn't really plan out. So I was in Holiday Inn Copy P for about nine months. And then I decided, no, I go back to Samui. And I, during that time, my wife was building this event company. And how did you find being in PP compared to Samui? I mean, I was in Lem Tong, I think it's called, right on the north end, and mm. you don't—you hardly even had phone reception. Yeah, you don't have a Seven Eleven, you don't have an ATM. We worked three weeks straight, and then we had six days off, and so a bit tough. Hmm. So back but, to Samugi. But good, very good diving. Yeah, great diving. So back to Samugi. Yes, yeah, so back to Samui. I started working for a wellness retreat, a wellness resort on Koh Samui. Um, and I took a little bit of a sidestep. I was doing uh, project management and quality assurance uh, for that property. We're doing uh, renovations and openings and snagging and things of, of things that they've built and, and uh, maintaining, doing a lot of maintenance and renovations on their villa product uh, while st- still keeping the pr- property open. And at the same time, I was still helping my wife with the events on the side. And then you came to Phuket Yes. In 2019? Or was it 2020? No, so uh, I, so I, I went to Hua first. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. So I was in, the, in this uh, wellness resort. I think this uh, is going to need a part two, three, and four. Exactly. This is a long, <laughs> long, long talk. Anyway, so I went to Hua first, worked there for a smaller boutique hotel, which then was very happy with me and moved me to their properties in Panga. Where I became the so I was cluster resort I was resort manager in Huahin, then I went to Panga. There I became cluster resort manager, uh, still looking after Huahin uh, for maintenance and stuff like that. And I worked in Hua, in in Panga up until our famous uh, 2020 events. Covid. Covid. Yeah. Uh, where everything was locked down, we were at some point not even allowed to go out from the resort. Wow. In Panga, we were literally in the resort and you couldn't really go on the streets. It was like checkpoints and all that stuff. Uh, and so, you know, cash flow, economy, uh, owner expenses, uh, they cut salaries and they, you know, we had to reduce a lot. So at some point I um, decided that I need to move somewhere. I need to pay the bills. And Phuket was the... And then I came to Phuket and started working with you. I know, that's where we met, at the, the lovely Blue Tree. Yes. And you came on to Blue Tree. Was, was that something you... Because it's a very different project, Blue Tree, from working in hotels yes. or... So another sidestep. So, I mean, I came in with diving. I went into front, front of house operation. And then I took a sidestep into project management and, and engineering and all that st- uh, all those things when I was in, in uh, this wellness retreat in, in Samui. And then again, sidestep. Uh, but but all those things that you've done does yes. really encompass what Blue Tree is because it has got operations, it has got renovations, yes. it has got got everything. It's got everything. Um, did you enjoy? Because you, you no longer work here. What did you do? Two years. I was here for about a year and a half. A year and a half. Did you yeah. enjoy working here? I loved working here. Should I we mean... leave that dramatic pause? <laughs> <laughs> but it's where we met, which was a really yes. good thing. And I think at that time, because COVID had just come in, but there was also. I felt that because Blue Tree had just opened when when COVID had come in, so yeah. I think we I was doing a year or, or two before you arrived, 
And then we had the whole COVID to deal with. But there was a, I felt there was a really good community spirit. And I think Blue yeah. Tree was really buzzing because of the community spirit yes. at that point. And it, it, it feels to me that now that COVID has gone, there is less of a community spirit, especially from the expats. Yes. I mean, it, I, I, I could really feel, especially when we had the one sale market down by the parking lot, and we were the only place pretty much that was doing anything. No, I think in, you're right. And, in, and that, that added to the fact that there was loads of people here because we yeah. were the only ones doing it. And so people were stuck on Phuket. And, you know, I love Phuket. Um, but people were stuck and there was nothing to do, really. So I think Blue Tree did a very good job uh, back then to, to sort of get people, uh, you know, back well, I together think so. and, I think and people, so have social interactions no, I, again. I, I think people do forget the fact, and I agree with you, I think Blue Tree was, was during COVID, was the one place that was open and it was pushing through as much as possible. Even when we put the vaccination policy in for the lagoon, <laughs> which was, that's a whole other story. We don't De even go there. Dealing with some Karens and Kens, as my daughter calls them. So you did Blue Tree for a year and a half. And then it was time to yes. Look then for something I, new. I I mean it was a nice side step. It, I learned a lot of things, and then but then I figured I you know COVID is slowly going away, and I think my calling um, is hospitality to some extent. I mean I would love to come back and work for Blue Tree in the future if uh, you know the projects that have been talked about for quite some time uh, you know accommodation and things like that happens but um, I, I thought at that point at least yeah I'll probably go back to hospitality and I, I was offered it was a long process but I was offered a, a good position as the general manager at Island Escape which is a new little well you should tell us because if you say island escape no one has any idea what it's island an escape. escape i've been there yes you've been there with I've the coffee a, cup yeah, in my with, golf cart in your golf cart which you drove me around with a nice mug of coffee yes good coffee although i'm not keen on mugs but it was a nice coffee it was a nice um, coffee. beautiful place but just tell us a quickly well not so much quickly but tell us about it yeah so i mean now i've gone through all these different stages in thailand i've been diving i've been doing projects i've been in hotels i've been having crisis here and there and everywhere and now i'm in this very nice lovely place um island escape where Basically, the owners are putting in a nice resort with loads of different room categories, catering for couples and children. We have playgrounds, wet playgrounds with push buttons and you get lots of I little fun. I've looked at those and they are fantastic. Uh, we have little slides, not as big. We don't have Superfly like in Blue Tree. Uh, we have little slides out there for the kids. Uh, and um, where are you located? It's on Kormaprao Island. So Coconut Island. Coconut Island. Uh, so now there's two resorts on that little island. Well, there's a few more than two. It's just there's two yeah, main two resorts. Two main resorts. Okay, yeah. you have a, a few small ones. <laughs> but no, it's... um, And you have a boat that takes people over there, I'm assuming. Yes. So uh, we managed to get... Uh, we did long tail boats during the... Oh, well, they did. I wasn't there yet. But they did long tail boat transfers uh, from, during the COVID from uh, Lamhin Pier. From Lamhin Pier, which is actually... I'll just say this. The Lamhin Seafood Restaurant at yes. the pier is fantastic and almost as good as the floating restaurants. And if you like seafood, go to the floating restaurants at Lamhin. Fantastic yeah, food. Yeah, I go there... Once a month. Maybe. Oh, I, I, brilliant. It's just Very an nice. amazing place to go. And if you've lived on Phuket and you've ever been there, go there because it's stunning. 
So sorry, so you, yeah, so Lem Hill Pier, they did long tail boat transfers to help the local community. So basically, it was a CSR during the the COVID uh, COVID uh, times because these poor guys didn't have any uh, anything else to do. I yeah. mean, they couldn't make money from anything. So to save uh, the locals, long tail boats. However, we have now started to do uh, a nice uh, speedboat transfer from uh, Boat Lagoon. So we have a little lounge in Boat Lagoon. We take people there, they sit down. And the idea is that they're also going to be able to do pre-arrival check-in online so they can check in everything. They get a little QR code, they come, they scan it, they get a key card, welcome drink, done, everything very quick and easy. And then they go on a boat and they get transferred out to, to Coconut Island. We have a nice little private pier. And then uh, they experience this island escape uh, it, vibe. It's a stunning resort. It is, and I have, I was being very lucky enough to go over there and have a look at it. It was a few months ago, um, but it is beautiful. And it's got the, the spa all done now because it was just it, being built when I was it's, there. It's coming along. I mean, uh, there's always challenges when we, you build new things. And Especially on an island. Uh, yeah, island, the logistics of getting building materials and things out there. Is well, you know that I worked at, at the village at Coconut the village, Island and yes. I was there when they were building it. So the logistics getting stuff over is because obviously it's tidal as well. And that island's really tidal. Yeah, tidal and it goes out a long way. Absolutely. And so you have a short amount of time to get stuff on the ferry at Lamb Hin and then get it over to... And you've built a pier, though, not you personally. But yeah, there well, is a pier the, the, there, the, the barge have to come in on another, another little cove on, a, on yeah. a smaller beach and then we bring the things up. And so the spa... And the fitness center with our nice uh, uh, techno gym equipment. We're going to have cool state-of-the-art techno gym. When you say techno gym, is it just the music's playing to make people no, work out harder? No, no, It's the it's actual uh, equipment. Cool. Uh, and your swimming pool, which is in the shape of a shell? Yeah, we have a cone shell swimming pool. That's the main Huge. swimming pool down by the beach. Huge. So very nice for drone shots. No, it really is. And you've also got that, and I'm, I'm selling this for you, by the way. I can hear You've also that. got the wedding <laughs> uh, venue as well, haven't yes. you? Yes. Up on the hill that overlooks the... we got the nice wedding, the sunrise. I mean, we don't... We, sunset, if you go to the end of our pier, which is in the north end of... It's pointing straight north. If you go to the end of the pier, you can see a sunset over Phuket. Mm. But we are basically... Uh, facing east so we get very very nice sunrises so they're beautiful a no, sunrise wedding sunny. pavilion and we just started doing parties down by the beach so we have a little it's almost like a little peninsula almost next to the, our, our beach swimming pool and uh, we would do parties and because it doesn't disturb any of the rooms you can go on for quite some time down there with your techno gym as well no, techno gym, you live in the gym. <laughs> How do you find it? Because you obviously have to live over there as well. Yes. How are you finding um, your life at the moment? Because it's a very small island and you're, you, I imagine you're just stuck on the resort the whole time. Yeah, well, I mean, if we high, have high occupancy, if we have VIPs in-house, I tend to stay on the island. So I have accommodation on the island. But at the moment, it's September, right? And so I do, it's it, the beauty with Coconut Island is it only takes you 10 minutes to go back to the mainland. Oh, if that, it's 750 meters away from Lam Hin. Yeah, That's exactly. how close it is. Yeah. It's very, very close. So at the moment, I tend to go home in the evenings most of the time uh, and, and, you know, spend some time with the family. And if there's VIPs or if there's uh, higher occupancies, then I stay in the resort and I make, make sure that everything is, is taken care of. But obviously in high season, I will be there 24-7, right? So it's, it's a little bit give and take. Now, low season, you give a little bit more family time and high season, uh, it's full on. 
It is an amazing resort. It is. I mean, I yep. was thank you once again for taking me around it. Yep, I mean, I really welcome. enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, you have waffled on for a long time. I have. Yeah, yeah, you have. Damn. A couple of questions before we let you go, because I know yes. that you've got to head off to, to Boat Lagoon shortly. Yes. Um, what does the future hold? I mean, the future, and currently I would say future is quite uncertain. Because you have a lot of things going on in the world. You have uh, things have not been as predictable as it has been in the past, I would say. I think the future is quite unpredictable. Looking at what's happened the last two years, looking at what's happening currently in Europe and so on and so forth. Um, but I still see myself continuing in hospitality or in some uh, you know, people-oriented business. And my goal for the life is to make people happy. You know what I mean? It, that's what makes me... If I can make my staff progress, which I've seen throughout my year, uh, my colleagues have been able to grow. They become managers. Some, are, some people that I had as trainees um, or, or peer colleagues are now well above myself i mean they're group general managers or regional directors and things like that and when you have that collaboration and we can give and uh, and and advise people and coach people to become that you, it really gives you a sense of accomplishment right and so i my goal for the future would probably be to continue to to help people to drive themselves to do the best that they can and basically, at the end of the day, I want to end up with a nice little coffee shop somewhere where I can sit, drink my coffee in my very large mug, which I don't know you don't like, but <laughs> I love it. I have my large cup of coffee and just enjoy myself. A coffee shop in Asia or anywhere? It depends on what the future holds. You never know. But a coffee shop is definitely in the, in the, in the end stage of, of, of the plan. A nice coffee shop... Um, a nice uh, retired little cottage and possibly a dog. Cool. That's a good place to stop. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bo Johan. Wallen. Thank you, Wallen. I'm just going to call you Johan. It's been an absolute pleasure to... I didn't know so much. I mean, obviously, we've known each other for a, a few years. I didn't know that much about you. It was really, really cool, man. Thank you for having me, Jay. And thank you for taking the time, because I know you've got to head straight off now. And, um, yep, uh, now, it's, now it's uh, uh, food uh, hygiene wrap-up with Phuket Hotel Association. Oh, that sounds really boring. Well, it's cool. It's fun. Cool, man. Johan, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate. Take Cheers. care. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Welcome to the outro. That was the awesome Johan, otherwise known as Bo. Bo, Johan, Johan, Bo. I know him as Johan, and that's what we're going to stick with. I like him. He does talk a lot. It's not often we have a podcast where I don't say very much. Mm. Russell didn't even say anything, did you, Russ? That's right. Russell's not here again. I should apologise about Russ not being here, because I did say last week that Russell will be back, and he's not back. Anyway, needs must. Business matters have erupted into his life and he was not here. It's a shame, really, because I think he would have enjoyed this one. Although, we did pretty much just sit and listen to Johan talk for an hour. But, really interesting. I love the fact he's come from being in the army, thought about going into the medics as a Green Beret, jumping out of helicopters, 
messing around at university studying people then going diving and then from diving instructors then becoming into the hotel industry and now look what he's doing you should go over and check out the resort it is absolutely stunning it really is it's beautiful beautiful and coconut island itself is a beautiful resort um you probably know that i used to work at the village coconut island so i do love Kotmot prow now it's a cool place so make sure you go and check it out i'll put the links in the description of this podcast thank you very much for listening we appreciate it make sure you go and tell a friend and if you can give us a little five star rating five stars be nice four's good don't go lower than four though because there's no point but it does really help us with the old algorithms if you can give us a little like and subscribe on the old apple podcast we'd really appreciate that right we'll be back i say we i'm not sure russell are you coming back next week Yes, I am. That was was a terrible Russell impression. Anyway, we'll be back. Same shark time, same shark place next week. Make sure you tell your friends about the podcast as well. Should have left that. Oh, one more thing. If you do want to be a guest on the podcast, you can. Just drop me an email, jlashark at gmail.com, or you can use my real email address or my company email address, which is j at shark13productions. That's one three for the 13. Productions. Got it? Good. Thanks. Just click the links in the description. Right, I'll go now. Thanks, Russ. Uh, Still not here. I liked Johan. It was fun. Follow us on Facebook at Jail Shark and Friends. On Twitter at Phuket Podcast. On Instagram at Phuket Podcast. But the best place to go is PhuketPodcast.com. The Jail Shark and Friends and Russell Podcast was created and produced by Shark 13 Productions. If you are looking to start a podcast or would like to learn more about how a podcast can work alongside your current marketing plans, then contact us now at j at shark13productions.com.